Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today's readings are Luke 17 through 18. Rabbit trails. All right, y'all. I was in a real straight-talking mood when I wrote these, so my notes are a bit more blunt than usual. Did you know that I try not to be blunt? (laughs) I'm not sure how good I am at it, so let's both just pretend that I pull it off from time to time. We begin with a warning not to cause anyone to sin. To me, this means we had best know full well how the Father defines sin because He is not the least bit concerned with how we define it. If we have decided something is perfectly fine for us and it contradicts His word or commandments and we encourage others to follow our example, have we tempted them to sin? Absolutely. We have openly led them to do so. I do think we're at least cutting our losses if we send others to the Word rather than stand in between them and the Word. As a believer, there are two ways you can approach your life in light of the Word of Yahweh. You can say, I've read the book and decided I should do what He tells me to do, or I've read the book and decided that I can do it my way. Both statements are true. But it's best to keep reading that book to know the outcome of each decision. When Messiah talks about rebuking your brother, I want to encourage you to be cautious about identifying who your brother is. While we as believers tend to see all Christians as our brothers and sisters, it's easy to attach a label to yourself and blend in with the crowd. Using any of the various labels that believers use today does not mean that folks are A, reading the word, B, seeking his will, C, following him, or D, interested in following him. How then will we recognize our brothers? Messiah tells us in Matthew 7 verses 15 through 20. And now moving on, our favorite show is back. Get ready for an episode of Why Did They or He Do That? First of all, in Luke 17 12, you'll notice that the lepers stood at a distance. Now, if you'll check out Leviticus 13, verses 45 through 46, and Numbers 5, verse 2, I hope you will check these out, you'll see that they were required to do this. Remember, everyone we're reading about in these books, most of the lead characters at least, knew Scripture. They studied it their whole lives, lived by it, and ordered their entire world by it. This was the way of life for followers of the one true God in that day. This is a far cry from our time in which people are encouraged to say a prayer that isn't even in the Bible to begin with, and in many cases sent on their way with little to no encouragement to read the word from start to finish, much less study it daily. We're changing that, though. We are returning. Side note, if you know any new believers, encourage them with everything you possibly can to get in the word. Buy them a Bible or give them yours. Tell them it begins in the beginning and let them know that they can understand it because the Father meant for them to read it all along. Okay, now back to our show. We have discussed Messiah healing the ten at once and telling them to go show themselves to the priest. Remember why he did that? This opened up ten different Masonic investigations all at once. Bold, awesome, and confident move. We see that although the ten were healed, 
only one returned to thank him. If we go read the original Hebrew in interlinear on this, we see that a more accurate translation of what Messiah said is, Go now, your faith has saved you. Therefore, it appears that because of his faith in Messiah, he was granted salvation. The others had faith that Messiah could heal them, but they did not express any gratitude for his grace. And that is why I think he said that. Pop quiz. How much weight should what I think carry with you? If you answered none, you win. (laughs) One more interesting point. Keep in mind that this is a Samaritan. Have you seen the video I did about the true story of the Good Samaritan that I shared a couple days ago? It's fascinating to see him being the only one to show gratitude to Messiah. When we move to Luke 17, towards the end, we see descriptions about the coming of the kingdom. I think I've cautioned about this before, but I want to reiterate that we must be careful about having fully preconceived notions of exactly what the return of our Messiah and the coming of the kingdom will look like. In reality, we only have vague details. I have absolute confidence that his return will match up with these. But I also have absolute confidence that we will only see most of that in hindsight. Just remember, the Pharisees missed Messiah the first time, not because they didn't know Scripture, but because they used Scripture to come to a set of definite preconceived notions in their own minds about exactly how everything would play out. Now, when Messiah didn't match up to everything they had decided to expect, despite matching up to Scripture, they dismissed him. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, tithing. The Pharisee in Messiah's parable brags about tithing. I just wanted us to take a detour to go visit the verses that are referenced today in our time when the standard 10% tithe is collected. First of all, only Levitical priests are authorized to accept a tithe unto Yahweh, and very few, if any of us, have those. So let us begin by calling what we give by what it actually is. It's an offering, not a tithe. Check out Leviticus 27, verses 30-33, and Numbers 18, verses 21-26. through 26. You'll notice that in both cases, the tithe is of produce and flock, their harvest. It's not a monetary tithe. We also see this tithing of harvest in Messiah's reference in Matthew twenty three twenty three, as well as with the Pharisees tithe mint, dill, and cumin. Many say they tithe this way because they didn't have an income or money back then. But as early as Genesis 23, we see Abraham buying land with silver to bury Sarah. So we know that isn't the case. Now, in Exodus 30, we see that during the census, everyone is required to give one half shekel. But that's all all that's required of each person, regardless of wealth. It's interesting to me that if someone had nine sheep, they tithed nothing. It was only the tenth sheep that was tithed. Christy? Where are you going with this? Do you think we shouldn't be given offerings? No, I am not saying that. If you are a member of a church, there are salaries, light bills, water bills, internet bills, upkeep and maintenance, and in many cases, a building fund for a larger church or a revamped parking lot or bigger or better something is the way things go these days. Churches are growing, and in many cases, that is a very good thing. If you benefit from all that, I think you have a duty to help pay the bill for it. However, my point is that those who reference this tithing 10% thing have to go back to Leviticus in order to back it up with Scripture, which really doesn't fit to begin with. And in many cases today, these are the same people who say everything else in Leviticus is done away with. I guess that one wasn't, huh? 
So, no, I'm not saying you shouldn't give an offering. If you're a member of a church, I think you have a responsibility to help support that church. But I do think that we should uphold the entirety of God's Word at all times. The whole Bible is relevant to us today, and Yahweh's Word is timeless, truth, and the source of wisdom. I don't think we should treat it as something we can customize, ordering as we see fit, using passages to back up what we want, while dismissing those that don't fit our views so that we can have it our way. This is often what happens when some, notice I did not say all, churches focus on the last 25% of the Bible, but then pull out Leviticus when they pass that offering plate around. I call that Burger King faith. Pull up when we need something, order just what we want, customize to suit us, and then go back to our lives. Worshiping Yahweh as we choose, following Him as we see fit, living according to our own wisdom, and then declaring all of these things to be perfectly fine. Because Burger King faith lets you have it your way. But, like fast food, it's an instant and often empty calorie gratification. It doesn't last because it's not the Father's way. But what do you do if you don't go to a traditional church? Well, this is currently the case with us. We no longer go to a church building. We study the Bible in homes with fellow seekers of the Word. We don't have light bills or mortgages to pay. We have no expenses and no upkeep of any grounds. But we still give. We just rely on Yahweh to lead us when and where to do that. We realize that all of our resources are gifts from Him and therefore ultimately belong to Him. And so we seek Him daily with how to best use these to bring honor to Him. He's given us some amazing opportunities through seeking Him in this way. Proverbs 3, six tells us, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. And now, in closing, do you see who Messiah says He will be delivered to in Luke 18.32? Make sure you check it out, because as a Gentile who spent my entire life hearing that the Jews killed Jesus, that was pretty convicting for me to read. Let us honor our King in word and deed today. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of His word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.